Exploring Chiropractic, Episode 32, University of Western States, with Stephanie Halloran. Hey guys, I'm absolutely loving Blinkist. Blinkist takes great works of nonfiction, classics like Seven Habits of Highly Effective People or Simon Sinek's Start With Why, and it summarizes it down, distills it into two-minute blinks, which are summaries of the memorable key messages of the book. So I know you guys are busy, you're in school, you've got a lot of reading to do, but you've also got to keep up on what's going on in the world of business, psychology, leadership. Blinkist will help you do it in a fraction of the time. Check it out at exploringchiropractic.com forward slash B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T. Blinkist, a smarter you in 15 minutes. Welcome back to Exploring Chiropractic. This is your host, Nathan Cashin, and bringing you one more interview with a student to talk about a school. And this one I put off for a while because you know, I didn't want any conflict of interest. So we're going to be talking about University of Western States, my alma mater, with a classmate of mine, Stephanie Halloran. Stephanie, thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. I've got so much I want to talk about with you because uh, obviously we went to Western States and you're just about to graduate, um, but you've also been so active in SACA, in different clubs, uh, but also outside of school doing a lot of seminars. So let's get into all this. Um, First of all, why did you choose Western States? Um, Well, when I went to undergrad, I'm originally from the Chicago area, and my parents decided to move to North Carolina. Um, So I went to University of Illinois, and then I moved back to Chicago for a couple years to uh, pursue personal training. Um, when I decided I finally wanted to go to chiropractic school, um, there's really nothing holding me back from moving somewhere else and experience something else. And I had one of my really, really good friends went to national and he basically told me just to go somewhere else and experience it for the three, four years that I'd be gone. And if I really hated it, I could always come back to Chicago, but there aren't many opportunities in your life to just go move to a new city and experience something new. And there's an ending point if you want there to be one. So I looked into a lot of schools. He recommended Western States and I flew out there and fell in love with it. And it had a great reputation. So I just decided to, you know, move out West. That's awesome. Most people just pick the school that's closest to them and because they just want to stick around family. Um, and so they don't even look at different schools to, to compare them. Um, had you visited, say, uh, National or any of the other ones kind of in the Midwest? Um, no, I actually had never been on National's campus until this past year. Um, I didn't even apply to it because I knew I would pick it just to stay close to home. Um, but I did visit um, another school on the West Coast, and then I visited um, a school on the East Coast. Um, and I had scheduled to visit a couple more schools on the West Coast, but I canceled them as soon as I went to UWS because I knew I just had that feeling that's where I wanted to be. Oh, that's very cool. Which ones did you go to on the East? New um, York? And- no, I actually went to Life um, in Atlanta because it's about four hours south of my parents. Um, and then on the West Coast, I visited Palmer West, 
Um, and then I was supposed to go visit Life West and Southern California, and I canceled my trips out there um, after I went to UWS to visit. Let me back up for a second, though. What interests you in chiropractic to begin with? Um, I came from a fitness background, um, and I was an athlete all my life, and I have you know, a similar story to most people where I got injured in a sport, went to a chiropractor for the first time, they worked their magic and I was back playing. Um, but it took me a lot to actually want to take on the loans and move out and like take on extra schooling. Uh, and that came when I was personal training and I had a lot of overweight clients who I couldn't give nutritional advice to and I couldn't I couldn't go against what their doctor's orders were if they told them to rest because of their low back pain, um, even though they had been sedentary for years and they really need to be moving and they need to go see a chiropractor, or get some soft tissue work done to be able to maintain their activity, not stop. And after two years of doing that, I just got so frustrated. I decided that I just wanted to be in control of all of that. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's similar to how I felt like I, I felt like I didn't have the authority to tell people they were wrong <laughs> sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> cool. So you're you're towards the end of your schooling though. I mean, you are practically done. Yeah, I graduate on December 9th, so I guess that's 10, 10 weeks from yesterday. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's it's really close. <laughs> so <sighs> I guess let's talk about what you're doing right now, and then we can talk a little more about the experience at Western States, because uh, you're not at school anymore. You're in your last quarter doing uh, an externship or a preceptorship. So where are you at and why? Um, so I decided to do my preceptorship with the Veterans Administration. So um, about a week ago, I moved out to Indianapolis, Indiana. And I started working there on Monday. So I work four days a week from 6 a.m. to 3 p.m. Um, and we see probably an average between 10 and 15 people per day. Um, and I chose to do the VA because there's nothing else like it that's going to give you the experience to not only work in the scope that you're trained to be in, but also work closely with other um, medical professions. So... We get referrals from neurosurgery, we get referrals from physiatry, we get referrals from um, primary care, and all these people are different or very similar, and you can pull up all of their chart notes, see all their images, so almost every single patient we're seeing, I see an x-ray, um, we can see their past surgeries, injections, anything else, and I'm getting so much more knowledge outside of what I do so that when... I actually see patients in my private practice. I'm going to be able to tell them what I think about injection therapy or when it is useful or when it isn't or surgery, et cetera, et cetera. So you really get a broader look about like where we fit into healthcare and understand your role and understand on how, like how to communicate with other healthcare professionals. So it's um, a collaborative effort and not us fighting with other professions. I also went to uh, a VA. I did the North Las Vegas VA for my preceptorship. And it was such a cool experience to like, be in a hospital and have all of those different departments. Uh, I think all of the different internships are different because um, you know, like they're run by different people. I was able to do different rounds. So I went to departments for maybe a day or half a day. 
and was able to just hang out with the physical therapist, with the radiologist, with uh, speech pathologists, like <laughs> just random stuff. And it was so cool. Yeah, I will actually be on Tuesday, I will be in the OR with the neurosurgeons watching a, um, I think it's a spinal decompression surgery, or I forget what it is. They just said it's basically what they do all the time, um, at least in the VA, and then I'll watch some injections and sit with a pain psychologist. So I have some pretty cool things lined up that I'm excited to uh, be exposed to. Sweet, take advantage of it. Yeah, I didn't get to do an OR, that was my... The one regret is we just could never schedule it. So getting into the uh, into surgery is going to be sweet. Yeah, I'm excited for it. For students that aren't aware of the of the VA and the opportunities there, you you might know a little bit better than I do right now. Um, chiropractic, I think, is in over almost seventy locations in the Veterans Administration. Yeah, the last count I heard was sixty five. Okay, sixty five locations over 100 chiropractors um i think out. yeah i think it's like 180 or 200 oh wow so even more than that yeah it's got yeah it's gone up quite a bit but then for the student aspect of it they're they've just finished with a pilot program for a two-year residency in the va uh, have you heard year. an update yeah. on oh just a one-year residency mm, it's okay. a one-year and what's the update on whether that's going to expand so they didn't have the funds, from my understanding, to expand it, but it will continue in the five locations that it's in right now um, with the hopes to expand it in the future. Uh, the government just doesn't have the funding right now to get any more locations up and running. Okay. And that's a pretty competitive residency, um, and it is one-year commitment, but that's different than what you're doing right now, which is, I think we have to say a preceptorship because it internship sounds like a medical doctor's position. Uh, at least that's what I was told when I was there. Uh, so w- what is this opportunity or how is it different? So um, it's different for every school, which I didn't realize. So for UWS, we have six locations now. Um, they just added Spokane, Washington this past quarter. Um, and I'm only the second intern at Indianapolis. Um, so we our, most of our uh, clinicians treat it like a residency. So you do your rounds, you treat. Um, I get to sit in a case conference with all the chronic pain team and every Friday and they talk about patients for two to three hours, depending on how many they have to talk about. Um, and I'm allowed to give my opinion and talk whenever I want to. Um, so in that way, we're treated more like a resident because it's just one-on-one, whereas some of the other schools I've heard uh, you go in and it's almost like being in the campus clinic. You see patients, you chart, you talk to your clinician when you're about to treat, and then that's it. You don't see anything else. Um, so it really depends on what school you're on for the clerkships. Uh, the residencies, there's a lot more requirements, and I know there's a whole list of it somewhere with how many hours you have to get in, and it's a certain amount of observation hours and rounds and a certain amount of, um, I think, hours that you're teaching and doing like research-based things and then a certain number of hours that you're treating and doing x-rays and whatever else. So it's just more intensive. It's 40 hours a week, but it's a paid position. Um, right. Whereas the student preceptorship is unpaid. Yeah. Actually, you're, student, you're the student preceptorship, I'm paying to be there. <laughs> still got to pay tuition even though you're not at school taking classes. Yes. Oh, that was such a hard thing to do, but... <laughs> 
in the end, uh, you know, looking back, I, th- I think I can say it was worth it. It was such a unique experience. Very few people get to do that. Yes, it's very true. All right. Well, now let's rewind and talk about Western States and your experience there. Uh, you talked a bit about why you chose it. Um, was there anything that surprised you about the school after you got there? Um, I guess I was surprised at how hard it was. <laughs> I was always, uh, school usually came very easy for me. Um, and I didn't have to try too hard even when I was an undergrad. Um, and so when I got there and the level of difficulty of the tests, uh, was not what I was used to. Um, so the first quarter was a huge shock for me. Um, I was just, you know, not really prepared for that, but that was like my own personal thing. I just wasn't expecting it to be as challenging as it really was. But in the end, like looking back, that's actually really cool because they expect so much more out of you than most people would think. Um, you know, we are treated like a medical profession. Um, it's not just an easy degree to get. So can you, I guess that can you kind of surprised me. How how you thought it was challenging because I guess, I mean, I certainly didn't fly by or get A's on every test. Um, but for me, the fact that almost every test was a multiple choice seemed to, I don't know, to lower the bar in my opinion. Yeah, I think it depended on the professor, but for me, it was how specific the information was and how in depth you actually need to know it. Whereas when you're in undergrad, you know, they kind of, they go over the main points, you kind of can understand it, and usually you can figure it out. Whereas some of the questions, you know, like with Mark Kaminsky, it wouldn't be like, how do you get from A to B? It'd be like, how do you get from A to C, which means you have to know B to be able to get the right answer. And if you get B wrong, then you don't really know what the answer is. Sure. So, so there's it's like very much, yeah. So they're more complex questions. And it took me probably the first quarter or two to actually get a handle on how I need to study to think of things in systems and actually learn the systems. Um, I mean, looking in retrospect, it all makes sense, like how things are, they build on each other. Um, but yeah, that was probably something, that's just something I wasn't expecting was to, be as challenged as I was from, you know, the starting line. So how do you study for that? I'm, I'm reviewing right now for the, uh, CCSP, the sports physician exam. And it's kind of taking me back to school and just realizing like, uh, I'm not sure whether it's just the way the information is presented, but I find it very difficult to sit down and have kind of a plan in mind. And so I end up just kind of going through this vague, you know, mess of information. So what, what types of things have you done to really understand the material better? So for me, um, it depends on what the class is, but a lot of the stuff that was diagnosis classes, I would look at things in groups and see what was the same and what was different and uh, kind of tease out the things that were specific for one condition. So if you're looking between stenosis and a disc herniation, like what things are unique to each of those things that would, you know, define them from each other, even though they could present very similar or, you know, with the knee, what specific test. 
So a lot, it was really funny because, um, I actually did great in Hoyer's classes, which are supposed to be so challenging because I just, I started teaching myself how to diagnose things. And once you learn like a diagnosis pattern, um, it makes it so much easier for studying because you know, once you know all the tests and you know what they're related to, and then you know what makes them unique for each condition, it makes it really easy because you can fly through and be like, oh, is a positive whatever, then it's probably this condition. Um, so that's kind of how, once I got later on, that's kind of how I started studying for that. Like stuff like anatomy and physiology, I would look at, you know, I would actually go into the lab and take a skeleton and look at where the origin and insertion were. And based off of where they were and where they pull, I would figure out the motion that it would make to try to make all those connections so that if I just thought about something, I knew the general origin insertion, I could, you know, figure out the motion just by that. And it wasn't just blunt memorization. Nice. So reverse engineering or uh, going back to, to kind of recreate the formula is how I think of it. I remember sitting in mm-hmm. a calculus test and I couldn't remember a formula, so I derived it <laughs> while I was taking the <laughs> exam. But it sounds like in a lot of ways that that's kind of what you're doing. Um, rather than memorizing factoids, you're tr- really trying to process the information. Yeah. That's generally my approach. Well, what was the experience at school outside of the classroom like for you? Um, it was really, <laughs> it's hard to say cause this last, each year was a bit different. Um, the first year I was really focused on studying. I studied pretty much a majority of my time outside of school. Um, you know, I'd go out and went on like the occasional hikes and stuff because Oregon's beautiful and you have to go and do that. Um, but I spent a ton of time studying probably up until about fourth or fifth quarter. And then I started figuring out how to study and how to study with other people to make it more um, efficient, I guess. But it probably wasn't until this past year, um, starting like last fall is when I started traveling a lot and doing a lot of seminars. Um, And that took up a ton of my time. I don't think I was home more than one or two weekends a month if I was lucky. Um, So a lot of my – it's weird because I feel like I'm saying like I'm such a huge nerd and I don't do anything else, but I pretty much do school and then – I enjoy in my free time to do more learning things. So other, <laughs> other so, learning things, like not necessarily yeah, school so- work, but I go and look, I do seminars or I, you know, I'm reading other books. Um, I went on more hikes and did more outdoorsy things and did more Portland, Oregon, typical things um, in the past year as well when I was home. But yeah, I just spent a lot of time learning. <laughs> I follow you on Facebook and on, you know, on Snapchat and stuff. And it just seems all the time you're posting photos of getting on the plane and you started counting the flight numbers <laughs> in your, I don't know if you quite got to 40, but like this year you were in the thirties for flights. Um, Why? Yeah. This past, since January, if you counted from September when I first started flying a lot of last year until like this past September, I think I was over 60 flights, maybe more. Um, It was mostly just I uh, actually decided to start my diplomate in diagnosis and internal disorders 
um, which was in Chicago. So every month I was flying back to Chicago for that um, from December until I guess just like last month. Um, so that was one weekend a month. And I chose to do that because I have family in Chicago, so I didn't have to pay for housing. And the flights, if I booked them soon enough, were relatively cheap. Um, I have uh, rewards programs with two different airlines, so usually I could get at least one way on miles. Um, so I wasn't paying more than like 150 maybe $200 for a round trip. Um, so people thought I was spending oh. all this money, and I actually wasn't. I have a yeah, bunch of miles. Sure. I still do. I think in the month of July, I like earned like 15 or 20,000 miles with Southwest. Cause that's how much I was flying, which is like two flights. So, um, I was doing that. And then, um, because I was the former co-chair of the specialty councils committee with, um, SACA, I made it my, I guess, mission to try to go to as many, um, symposiums as I could. And some of that was made possible by um, Kelly Lang helped with some of the sports symposium. I decided to go to that last minute. She still gave me the early bird price because I was coming to represent SACIN because we had done work promoting the symposium. Um, the rehab council uh, waived my fee to go to the ACA rehab symposium in Las Vegas. So then it was just hotel and flight. So some of it I've gotten... Um, I don't want to say lucky because I did put in the work for it, but um, I've had very accommodating people to work with to allow me to do some of the stuff that I was doing. Um, And then some of it's vacation. My family likes to um, go places for holidays, so some of it's for that. And, you know, I did DNS and I decided to do DNS in Vancouver, BC because of the ACA Rehab Symposium. Um, So, yeah, like it was just a bunch of, you know, trips that worked out, I found cheap deals and I would have rather, you know, I'd rather spend my money on doing something like that than uh, going out for a weekend at, to a bar or something with friends. That's very cool. I mean, I admire that. I, I would have loved to take more seminars, but I didn't uh, have the know-how to, how to figure out how to afford <laughs> it and pay for it and have the time. Um, so that's impressive that once you start doing something like that, other people will start, um, contributing in a way that allows it to be more uh more possible to do that's very cool and what did you think about the dns dynamic neuromuscular stabilization courses that you did i thought it was awesome like i think the stuff that they do i only did one of the courses um i'd like to do more in the future it just hasn't worked into my schedule um it's not necessarily something that i would use in practice because i want to be mostly functional medicine based but if i were to refer to someone who does rehab if my patient needed rehab i would look for something like dns in their background um because i think it's just such a complete model and it just the way they present it it makes so much sense and it's so in depth and they're so specific about how you learn it so i thoroughly enjoyed it i've done two of the seminars and i agree it took me a while to to I guess, buy into it uh, because I had heard a lot about it. Um, but what the pieces I had heard didn't make any sense until I started to take the seminar and then piecing it all together, I kind of, I saw the value for it. And so it's very cool. Um, and I was exposed to that in the sports master's program at UWS. Now UWS has also has a functional medicine program, which you kind of touched on there. Did you go through the the nutrition master's program? 
I am in it right now. <laughs> so not only are you in the chiropractic program, but you're also doing a master's in, in w- 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 tell me exactly what it's called. It's human nutrition. Uh, human nutritional and functional medicine. Yeah. And on top of that, you're doing your diplomat in internal medicine on the weekends. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So you're glutton for punishment. Uh, pretty much. Yeah. It all kind of ties together and, you know, I enjoy it. <laughs> I told you I'm a professional nerd. So tell me a little bit more. I know a lot about the master's program. We've talked about it on the podcast before because a number of schools are offering it now. Um, but the functional medicine program is somewhat new. It's been going for a couple of years at Western States and it's similar programs are being offered elsewhere. Uh, why did you choose to do it? Um, I was always really interested in, uh, nutrition and, um, just the way that it's set up, they work with the Institute of Functional Medicine. Um, the fact that it was online and I could do it even after school, um, when I start going through withdrawals because I'm not in classes anymore. Um, Jeez. <laughs> so I, you know, I was just, I was just really interested in it. I think, um, part of it's my personal training background. I think that health is so closely linked to not only physically how you feel, but also what you're putting in your body. And, um, you know, it's a balance and they both work together. So I got interested in it because of that reason. And I started to pursue it more. Uh, 50% of my family on my dad's side is celiac, probably around 50%, um, which is autoimmune. I personally have uh, been diagnosed with endometriosis, which is autoimmune. Um, And so a lot of the autoimmune conditions, a lot of them can be, um, I guess, the symptoms can be controlled by functional medicine. And I think that's a huge part that's missing because we get a lot of people who are in chronic pain coming into chiropractic clinics and you can help somewhat with the physical medicine aspect, but the organic things of what people are putting in their body and what they're exposed to every day can play such a huge role in what kind of success you get physically. Um, so I think it's a huge balance between both of them. And I just, wanted to be more educated and wanted to structure my practice around both functional medicine internally and physical medicine. Very cool. My, my now wife is a, uh, internal medicine. Congratulations, by the way. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I haven't mentioned that on the podcast. I got married. Yet. It's <laughs> awesome. Um, she is, a, she's an MD though, an internal medicine specialist. And I, t- I just don't understand that. I mean, we took, you know, physiology and, and touched on some internal medicine, uh, lab, you know, lab tests and everything, but man, is it, it's fascinating, but it's quite a reach for me to start to understand. So at some point I'd love to talk more about how those compare, um, Yeah. internal medicine from the medical perspective compared to this functional medicine, which, which started with medical doctors, but chiropractors are really taking to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting all the different, I mean, I'm only a hundred hours into the 300 hours for the DABC. So I haven't even gotten into a lot of it yet. <laughs> all right. We'll talk about it a little bit later. Um, I want to finish up your experience at Western States thinking back through all the classes as well as the 
um, the clinic experience. Is there one, you know, one experience that stands out to you? Just in general? <laughs> yeah, you know, if you think um, back, whether it's your time in, in the clinic treating patients or whether it's a particular professor that you had that just clicked with you, um, what what's the best student or the, the, the best experience you've had in school? Um, probably... Probably one of the best experiences I've had um, for multiple reasons is working with Dr. LaFay. Um, I really wish. <laughs> is, I know most people is, would not say that. <laughs> he is feared by everyone. Um, he is. And you know what? I, you know, I was terrified of him when we first had him in seventh quarter. Um, but I think we need a lot more doctors and professors like him because he challenges you and he doesn't back down. He asks you a question. If you don't know the answer, it's okay for you to not know the answer and say you don't know the answer, but you're going to come to his office later and tell him what the answer is, which I think teaches very, um, it teaches a great habit of it's okay not to know, but it's your responsibility to go find it. And it's your responsibility to know it. Ignorance is not an excuse. You, you should want to know the things, especially in our profession. Um, and following eighth quarter, ninth quarter, whenever it's the last quarter we had him, um, I actually met with him weekly or biweekly for two quarters and did, um, case studies with him and did some one-on-one stuff and did some physical and history. And then I would go home and make a management plan and come back and discuss it with him. And he would tell me like why he agreed with me or why he didn't agree with me. And then give me some, you know, clinical pearls of stuff that he learned along the way with all of his, you know years of knowledge. And he would pull out books and show me different books and um, show me different research. And it was really helpful because there was stuff that I already had developed in my thought process. And then he would tell me why I was wrong, why I was right. But it was in such a nice um, way and very, um, I don't know, very teacher-like. And it was a lesson for me to learn while I was still in school versus, you know, getting out into the real world and treating a certain way and not doing things differently. And I think that's helped me going into the VA because um, as I work with my clinician, he asks me questions like, oh, what do you think about this? As they're going through and triaging patients, whether they're going to take them or not, because there's only so many appointments with the chiropractor. Um, you know, I'll give my opinion. I'll look through labs. I'll look through uh, the blood work. I'll look through x-rays. I'll look through other stuff and I'll tell him what I think. And I'm not afraid to tell him what I think because, you know, sitting across from LaFay and telling him what you think is probably as terrifying as it gets. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. And I, I, I completely agree that his, you know, his pedagogical techniques, his teaching style is so effective. And I wish I had more time with him, but I was so scared to go talk with him that I didn't take it. <laughs> Which is why so. I actually did go and talk to him because I was terrified to do it. And I knew that it would be good for me. And I just remember the one time I did an exam on him and he told me he was proud of me. Because I did, I forget what I did right, but just hearing LaFay say, I'm proud of you, I was like, that probably has to be one of my shining moments in chiropractic school. Just that phrase coming out of that man's mouth. That would give you a lot of confidence. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. Well, if there was one thing about Western states that you would change, what would that be? Um, probably what I just said. Like, honestly, I wish that. I would change some of the newer professors and some of the way that they're um, doing things there to 
have professors a lot like Dr. LeFay who expect you to come to class prepared, who call on people randomly, who challenge you and um, make you think outside the box and back up your um, statements and your opinions with research or with something other than just you have this opinion because um, I think that if a lot more, I think with the society that we're in now and the way that um, my generation and generations who are below me start to come up, um, we kind of have our hands held through a lot of this stuff. Um, not saying mm-hmm. that people are going to be graduating unqualified. They'll definitely be qualified. These are smart people. They're driven people. Um, the school still has the standards that it has. But I think that um, it'd be a greater service for people to take the style that Dr. LeFay has. Maybe not be as scary, but at least, you know, expect students to come to class prepared and ready to, um, you know, defend their opinion the way that he expects you to. I like that. I would agree with that, uh, especially when you said, like, to be able to defend our opinion to me means to be able to explain the rationale behind it. Um, and I'm curious what your thoughts are because a something that I hear a lot is, well, par- patients don't care. They just want to know if you can help them. What would you say to that? Um, I think patients do care. I think patients don't want to hear all of the medical jargon that we know. Like, they don't want to hear all the technical terms. Um, but they do want to know that you know what you're doing and you should want to know why you're doing what you're doing. Um, a lot of people get scared to be challenged. And, um, I was actually just talking to a friend the other night on the phone about vaccines, which I'm not going to get into, but we had a differing opinion about one specific thing. And I was like, you know, and they said something like, Oh, I'm not trying to argue with you. And I'm like, please do. Like I want, I, I like when people challenge me and debate with me and explain to me why they think that, why they don't agree with my thinking, because it makes me go back and reconsider why I developed the opinions that I did and why I have the views that I do. And then maybe my view changes or maybe it stays the same, but I'm have a better understanding of why my stance is the way it is. And I think that, um, I think that patients can tell that. I think it can show in your confidence level because when someone asks you why you're doing what you're doing or, you know, they'll come in and ask you, oh, like I was a chiropractor before who did this specific thing. Like, what do you think about that? And you're just like, oh, yeah, um, it's okay. It's fine. Whatever. Like, and kind of just like shrug it off and try to change the subject. Like, they're going to notice that versus if you're like, oh, actually, like, let me tell you about that and why I don't do it or let me tell you about that and why it's a good thing versus why I wouldn't recommend it. They can tell that too. And they want to go to someone who's confident and, you know, has a reason behind the treatments that they're providing. That's awesome. I that's, think that's just I love especially what you say about, <laughs> yeah, I love what you said about arguing. I think we have a culture that shies away from arguing and I don't, we should never go at each other's throats like in the political scene right now. And throw ad hominems, but we, I think we need to be able to discuss and back up our claims and be open to understanding the other person's point of view. So I love that you do that. Yeah. I think there's a huge difference between just like, I guess argument's not the right word, but like just, um, you know, having a very, um, respectful debate with someone. That's what I like. Respectful debating. (laughs) Sharing each other's viewpoints without tearing each other's hair out. 
Exactly. So you, you've you've touched on the on this diplomat in internal medicine, and this is one of the specialties that that. And maybe we should explain what diplomat is. I think of a diplomat. I don't want to say equivalent to, but maybe analogous to a medical specialty where you would, uh, you know, spend your six years of residency or whatever it might be in that specialty. Um, how do you explain what a diplomat is? So um, that's kind of similar how I like to explain it. Um, the way I see it is, you know, people go to medical school and they get out and they go in there, do their residency, and they choose if they want to do GI or internal medicine or, um, you know, ears, nose, and throat, whatever. And they spend time doing that. Uh, for us, we go to school and we are musculoskeletal specialists. And, you know, we're really great at treating the spine and everything attached to the spine and extremities. Um, but it's mostly all, it's, you know, bones and soft tissue. Like that is what we specialize in. Um, so that's what I would consider equivalent to your, you know, general MD who you go to when you have strep throat or you have a cold or whatever else. And if they find it necessary, they refer you out to a specialist. Um, for chiropractic, we have, I think it's 11, I should know this, pretty sure it's 11 uh, specialties. So we have pediatrics, functional neurology, uh, sports, rehab, um, forensics orthopedics. Um, and the one that I chose was diagnosis and internal disorders, which is pretty much just, you know, you're drawing blood, you're, um, analyzing the different levels and seeing where you can make tweaks based on the person's symptoms and how they're feeling. And, um, you do that with supplementation and you do it with, uh, food lifestyle changes. And with the diplomates, it gives you the chance to you know, find your niche. If you are a rehab person and you want to specialize in rehab, you're going to see a bunch of other people who are just musculoskeletal patients. They come in and they have back pain and you fix it. But you're also going to have people who come in who are maybe, maybe you're treating an entire sports team and you're doing their active rehab exercises to prevent injuries. And with internal medicine, um, people can come in for their musculoskeletal pain, but they might also tell me, oh, hey, by the way, like, you know, I've started having stomach issues and we can do a food allergy test or we can do whatever else. Um, and it's just another way to make your treatment more specific and to really find um, the little like subset that you want to be in without straying away from, um, you know, our roots and where we actually are um, the best trained and I can understand that the, this internal diagnosis fits in really well with the master's program in nutrition and functional medicine for you, right? It does. It's actually really cool because a lot of the um, I'll take an entire class on GI disorders, and then I'll do a weekend of GI with the DC or with the DABC. Um, but the interesting thing is the functional medicine masters has DCs teaching. It has. Um, uh, naturopaths. I think there's some medical doctors that teach. It really just depends on the class. So you get the viewpoint of just like globally what these issues are that can be um, transferred into any medical profession. Whereas the DABC is more towards specifically chiropractors. So it's taught by chiropractors. It's all chiropractors who are taking it. Um, so it's cool to see both 
sides of the coin and see what the DCs are doing and then compare it to what other information is out there with the master's program. That sounds awesome. So what is next for you? You're going to do 10 more weeks of your internship or preceptorship at the VA. And what's the plan? Um, I've been getting that question a lot lately. And to be completely honest, I'm not 100% sure yet. Um, I take part four boards next month. Um, and then I'll have those results at the end of December. And then I'll decide. Um, I'm considering going to North Carolina and working um, out there. Um, but I still haven't completely taken uh, the VA residencies off the table yet. So I'm going to see how this goes for the next um, 10 weeks. And then I may apply for a VA residency. Um, otherwise, I may just decide that it's not something that I really want to pursue for another year and move to another new town. Um, and then I will probably actually settle down and put some roots down in North Carolina. Very cool. Well, being on the other side of it and having um, opted not to do the residency because I was getting married and I didn't want to spend a year away. Um, I yeah, I would seriously consider that. I think it's a very unique opportunity. Um, but that'll just depend on how you enjoy your preceptorship. Yeah. Which I'm enjoying it so far. It's only been one week. So chances are pretty high that my application will be submitted. Very cool. That's awesome. I kind of miss my time at the VA, to be honest. Uh, some days I, I wake up and wish I was still there. <laughs> it's a very interesting environment and there's always something happening. Before I let you go, I want to share our tick picks for the episode. Uh, there's one thing that you feel that all chiropractic students should know about. What do you have in mind? Um, personally, I think a great book to read is Start With Why by Simon Sinek. Um, and it's not chiropractic at all, um, but it goes into why you finding why you're doing what you're doing. Um, and I think that with the program, everyone gets to a point where they get very bogged down and burned out and start to question what they're doing in that profession or if it's really worth it, um, which I mean, those are, you know, doesn't happen all the time, but you get to those points where you start to get tired around boards time and everything else. And you're just running yourself ragged. And I think it's always great to come back to your why of why you're doing what you're doing. It is imperative for you to have it when you go into practice. So you understand why you're creating the, um, the type of private practice you're having, or if you go into integrative medicine or whichever road you decide to take, like really understanding intrinsically why you're doing it, I think is just such a, valuable tool. And, um, yeah, I would 100% recommend that book. Sweet. It's on my list. I've listened to a summary of it, but he uh, also has a, uh, Ted talk on it. Yeah. I was just looking at his website. So start with why.com. Uh, he's got, of course the books there. He's got a Ted talk. It looks like he now has a online why discovery course. So an online course that you can take that will help you articulate your unique why statement. That looks very interesting. I'm going to have to take a look at that. Yeah, it's, it's a great book. My tick pick for the episode, and I've been posting this all over social media, 
is volume two of Don Murphy's Clinical Reasoning in Spine Pain. So he had volume one out, I think, in 2013 on the low back disorders. And it's an excellent book that pulls together a lot of different approaches. So he focuses more on the biopsychosocial approach. Um, He simplifies it by having three diagnostic questions, basically ruling out red flags uh, for serious disorders, finding out what is the pain generator, and then establishing a management plan and finding out what what other factors might be contributing to chronic pain especially. And so volume two just came out this last week on cervical disorders. And I've really loved it. Like, I think it's, sometimes I wish that I had it before starting chiropractic school because it gives such a great overview of the entire process of managing a patient. But it also gives just enough specifics of of different ways to approach it. Um, So for instance, he utilizes some of the McKenzie technique he again does the biopsychosocial approach where you're you know really focusing on your relationship with the patient adds in some rehab exercises uh so it's really just all encompassing but in one single textbook and it's very actionable you can i've been using it as i read through it i've been using it with patients that i see so uh clinical reasoning or crisp um, volume two, and that's available on Amazon for about 60 bucks. Well, Stephanie, thanks so much uh, for giving me some of your time and your busy schedule. I'm sorry to take you away from the library and your nerdy studying. <laughs> Thank you for having me. It's always fun to be on here with you. Don't forget to try out Blinkist, Smarter You in 15 Minutes. Get your free three-day trial and access to a 1,000 best-selling nonfiction books transformed into powerful packs you can read in just 15 minutes. Go to exploringchiropractic.com slash Blinkist.